So you went back to the box, Sarah, I understand. I went back to the you box. Went back to the box. Kelly, I go to my box every day. Really? Every day? every day? Okay. Well, five or six times a week, probably. Okay. I work okay. out at my box, which is my CrossFit gym, folks. And I do have a tail. Well, I do have a tail. I have an encouraging tail from my box. Oh, Let's good. See. Good. Okay. So I don't know if you recall, but the first time we did tails from my box, was because it was maybe like the second or third time after I did the kind of introductory course for CrossFit. I, it was the second or third workout I actually went to that was called the Murph. And you were shocked that I hadn't heard of it. Yeah, it's like a big thing. It's like a real thing. Why don't you tell everybody what the Murph is? What the Murph is. Okay, so the Murph is a mile, a one mile run, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 air squats, and then a one mile run. Okay. And to do that uh, RX, like to get a little star beside your name, basically, in CrossFit, <laughs> you have to wear, a, the women have to wear a 14 pound vest. And the men you realize have to wear a RX just vest. stands for prescribed, right? Like pre, it's like short for prescription. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm just, just trying to make sure everybody's on the same page. Here. Okay. Okay. So when I first did it, I was like, cause first of all, that's ridiculous no matter what. Like take the 14 pound vest out of it. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's a lot of pull-ups. And so the first time I did pull-ups with a band, like a giant elastic band that helps you pull up. And then I did push-ups from my knees. Um, and then air squats are just air squats and running's running. But also you're allowed to divide it up. Right. How right? do you so want? Right. A lot of people will do five pull-ups, 10 push-ups, 15 air squats, 20 times. Okay. Right. So I did it basically banded and from my knees last time. And it took me like, we had a 55 minute time cap and it took me 54. Something. <laughs> okay. Like you I was down to the wire. You like got under there. Yeah. Like I like, sort of had a time the last like, 400. <laughs> I kind of knew like how much rest I could take and when I was going to have to start running again to get under 55. Like that's how I was balancing it the first time. Right. And this time I actually was surprised like, okay, at 40, cause I'm like, I'm almost 43. Right. Yeah, oh, man. Shock, yeah. Right. But like how much that was. OK, so that was back in May. And so now it is January. So like nine months ago, how much stronger I got, like just in that time, just by showing up to like, I'm not doing anything special. You're I'm just, just going. OK. It. Yeah. Yeah. And so this time I did the 100 pull ups like as pull-ups in sets of five. So I did five. You didn't have like even like a little band. Cause even little when I've band. done like, even like one of the tiny ones to like help support you. No tiny band, but I did do kipping pull-ups. Right. Right. I mean, Which okay. is like for anyone who's seen CrossFitters, it's like how they swing. Right. It just like lets you use the momentum. Yeah. Yeah. So I did f- kipping pull-ups, five pull-ups, five push-ups, 15 air squats, five push-ups to split up the push-ups. That's how I did it. And then I did that 20 times. Okay. And so, so I was quite pleased with myself. It took me under 42 minutes. I had like no assistance at all. So, so I was like, basically anyway, like, I am such a good crossfitter now. My tail amazing. is that I got better. <laughs> <laughs> my tail is I got better. That's my tail. I thought that I thought it would be encouraging. I don't know. Like, I feel like this is an encouraging tale for everyone out You're there. You're basically because- telling everybody else that even at the old age of 43 right. they mm-hmm. too can improve at something new that they start right. doing and i still got stronger and quite quickly do like and it's not because like there's nothing special about me it's just like everything just special stronger. sarah it's fine well besides everything yeah no <laughs> just kidding i just like i think that um anyway i thought that it might be encouraging for our listeners good all right listeners feel encouraged 
feel encouraged. Okay, coming up on the show, we are going to announce our new sponsor. Yay. With, with a drum roll. Yay. <laughs> but we have a few follow-up comments from the Triathlon Business International Conference. We're going to ask how you can make change to cultural attitudes or if that's even possible. Should you wear makeup while working out? And what is the worst kind of pain? Live Feisties If We Were Riding is brought to you by Ass Kicker Inc. Ass Kicker makes active wear for women featuring empowering phrases like work hard, play hard, kick ass or strong women lift each other up. Ask Kicker Inc. also makes our fabulous Live Feisty tank tops, t-shirts, hoodies, and leggings. So to order yours, go to livefeisty.com and just choose shop from the menu. And of course, use the code RIDING to save 20%. That's RIDING, as in if we were, at livefeisty.com. And remember, I before E, except if you're feisty. I'm Kelly O'Mara. And I'm Sarah Gross. And you're listening to Live Feisties If We Were Riding. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop this time like the last time. You better get ready to race in a titty to do this. Show you what the truth is. I step on the field. It's time to get real. I'm feeling so ruthless. All right. So TBI, Triathlon Business International, obviously we recorded a live episode from it last week. So I want you to just go listen to that first to get all of the oh, insight. To get all the information so all they the know what we're talking about later. Right. Okay. And but then, let's announce our new sponsor first. Oh yeah. I totally forgot that because I was like looking at the next thing. All right. Oh, everybody go listen to the other over. podcast. Listen to the other back. podcast. Press pause. <laughs> we're about to announce our new sponsor. Okay. So drum roll. Aaron, maybe our editor Aaron can add a drum roll here. Kelly, are you going to say who it is? Oh, I thought I was waiting for you. Our new sponsor is Noon. Noon Hydration. Noon Hydration, which I, okay. So I'm assuming a lot of people listening know what Noon is. It's a hydration product that's been like developed. I mean, they're working with Stacey Sims now, who I also know a lot of our listeners are very into to like develop a hydration product specifically for women. It's like, basically it's pretty low calorie, like more electrolyte. So it's like supposed to kind of replace water and like, I all know this because they've also put a bunch of money behind a women's pro team and are sponsoring our like uh, women's pro smash noon team. So I learned all about this recently, actually. Wow. Yeah. And you know what? When I talked to Arielle, who's the marketing director over at noon, she explained to me actually that they're working with Stacey Sims, right? Mm -hmm. As you just said, but that also a lot of the hydration, like a lot of the information that Stacey has about women's physiology will work for men as well, but doesn't necessarily work the other way around. Really? So a lot of the, yeah. The, right, we're going to have to come back to that point at some point. Right. That, yeah. <laughs> well, like, we'll have to get more information, but I thought that was super interesting that um, some of Stacey's information, it was going to work for the generic, you know, <laughs> for the generic, the neutral, which is a whole nother <laughs> topic. <the> neutral. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually was really, I mean, I was actually really encouraged that noon was putting a bunch of money behind female pros this year mm-hmm. and behind like women, like, they're kind of doing a huge marketing push behind women's uh, endurance sports, women triathletes, which we've talked a lot about how there's like money going away from pros and from like the women's sports. Yeah. So I felt like that was good. There's actually like a couple of, I told you, I said there was a couple of new teams. I felt like being announced and you were like, which ones? I was like, okay, there's really only like one, (laughs) but well, so team Timex went away and that's been like the staple in the triathlon world of like elite amateur forever. Okay, can I pause button you there? Yeah. 
because I wasn't done with noon. Oh, you weren't. Yeah. So oh. we'll come right back to you. To Man, the we are doing a terrible job all over the I place. Today. I just want, but I want to tell our listeners this so they will appreciate oh. it. Okay, folks, <laughs> you can get a discount with noon because of us and it's 30% too, right? Which is amazing. So if you go to their website, you can get a 30% discount with the code Iron Women, which is our sister podcast on Live Feisty. So the code is Iron Women, 30% off. Go there now and order and you will be supporting us too. If We Were Riding is brought to you by Noon Hydration. Noon makes hydration products formulated in part by Stacey Sims with the female endurance athlete in mind. Noon uses clean quality ingredients to create a range of hydration products for all your workout and recovery needs. Use the code IRONWOMEN and get 30% off at NoonLife.com. That's IRONWOMEN at NoonLife.com. Okay, back to the Timex team going away. All right, so, there, so Noon is sponsoring a new team, but at the same time, Timex was leaving and they've been around forever. Like, I feel like everyone was on the Timex team at one point, all elite amateurs forever. Oh, yeah. They have, they've been sponsoring a team for as Years. long as I've been in the sport. But then it turns out that like, they're just kind the of... Says the dinosaurs. They're just kind of... sub. I mean, it's essentially the same team. They're just subbing in Sunto, the non-Garmin watchmaker. Yep. Yep. The other watchmaker. The other watchmaker, which apparently they're perfectly good watches, guys. I'm just saying... It's the other one. So, so there is still a team. I feel like there's like BMC expanded their team, the triathlon team. I think Bahrain. So, so there are like, there are these like triathlon teams, which I feel like my husband was like, what is a triathlon team? What does that even, what does that mean? You guys don't like have a team strategy. And I was like, whatever. I think it means you have a marketing strategy. You think that everybody looks the same on the course. I think it also means there's like support and a squad and you like, yeah. Someone to talk to. Triathletes could be a team. Yeah, whatever. Just because we race head to head doesn't mean we don't want a team. Everybody wants a team. Steve. Whatever. <laughs> we were also talking about how there is, in the running world right now, there's a couple of sponsors doing this thing that's like an OTQ program. Like once you get your Olympic trial qualifying time, you like qualify as part of their like kind of like a a team you qualify as yeah. part of their otq team and you get certain benefits some um, like free stuff some whatever and it's been getting a lot of buzz and seems like it's actually pretty successful marketing wise in the running world so what it, should triathlon have this what would the equivalent be sarah so a couple of things come to mind first is is if we created a program for anyone who qualified for kona yeah i mean one. that's like the obvious one but that feels like that's more people another way to go that's more, what do you mean? Oh, it's just a lot of people. It's a lot, a lot more people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It is probably, let's see if it's probably like a hundred people. That qualify for that's Kona? True. No, like uh, 2000 people. Right. Oh pros. no, no. This isn't just for pros to be clear. Like Olympic. Anyway, I get, I see what you're saying. You're saying for only the pros that qualify for Kona. Yeah. You were confusing me because the Olympic trials qualifying is like anyone who makes an Olympic trials standard. So it could like, there are right. tons of, I have friends who ran marathon Olympic trials qualify. Like it's a different. Okay. It's a different thing, Sarah. It's almost like it's a different sport. Okay. How about incentivizing people who take a pro card 
as oh, a program. Yeah, see, that would be, I think that makes sense. Great idea. Fantastic idea. Thank you. Just right off the top of my head, just like that. Boom. Just boom. <laughs> <laughs> you should, because a lot of these, okay, here's my complaint. A lot of these age group teams, Timex being very guilty of this, did discourage their top elite amateurs from upgrading because they yes. wanted to be able to say we have X number of like amateur titles, amateur wins. And they didn't, they were like, we don't, we don't have a benefit as a mid pack pro. Like we don't see why we'd want this. And that's just like, what's the word? Short sighted marketing. And I found that very frustrating. There should the team, like they should have been yeah. incentivizing people to upgrade. I literally right. heard that from so many people. So many here's people. what we should do. We should get together a group of sponsors so that it's not just on one company okay. who want, who are invested in growing the elite side of the sport and figure out a way to incentivize everyone who takes their pro card. I think this is great. I think it's great. All right. We have, we have a lot of ideas. Hey, I feel folks, like if anybody wants to take this idea and put it into fruition, just like send me an email <laughs> and I'll, I'll share all my wisdom with you. Your wisdom. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like there's not a lack of ideas. I feel like, Ooh, even lack at TBI, there were a lot of ideas, even at the That's triathlon true. business international conference. Yes. There are many ideas. We have That's a lot true. of ideas. There might be a lack of money. Well, just not a lack I don't of know. Idea. I mean, if I, I think there's a lack of like follow through, even for me, like I'm criticizing myself. There's a lack of like follow through and time. I think time can make things happen. Like we can make anything happen, right? It's just a matter of like what you put your energy (laughs) and resources behind, right? Like I really believe that. Okay. So you were, I had to leave like early Sunday morning. So I didn't stay at the conference the last (laughs) day. What did I miss? Was there anything left we should talk about? Any last things out of the business of triathlon well you missed my panel well okay was it anything i didn't know did you say anything brilliant it was for coaches so i probably wouldn't have attended it anyway (laughs) um but you know there was a lot one one thing actually and you brought this up in the you talked a lot about it in the newsletter was around like the culture of triathlon and what can we actually change a culture and all the little, like all the little things. Like you mentioned some of the moments at TBI when like someone just says something that makes you realize that like, actually some people, for example, really believe that the fact that there's, that women are beginners, like they just see women in that light, for example, which isn't strictly speaking true. Like there's women who could beat 90%, 95% of the men, right? Like we, we know that, but that some people, um, like you, it's hard to change people's thinking. Basically, I know, all these I little things add is. up to these little details that create a culture that makes some like a certain space, whether it's triathlon or just TBI itself, feel a little exclusive. And I don't even know if it's. I mean, okay, so I, I feel like we may be referencing things that people don't know what we're talking about. But we're like we we're talking about we were talking about this at TBI, but like we talk about this generally, like how you make a culture feel welcoming or how you feel what makes something feel like you're a part of it and it isn't Mm -hmm. necessarily because you had like there's always a lot of talk about like oh we need to welcome women we need to have a pool swim and you're like literally just like checking that box pool swim doesn't necessarily make me feel welcome right like it's not Mm -hmm. that's not like it's not like there's a list of things you have to do and then then you're done I think I keep coming back to and this is even outside the context of triathlon this is like I've been spending a lot of time in the political world recently. This I was at a bull riding event on Sunday. Like uh, there's a, like, this is oh, like personal life. 
everything, it comes down to, I think, that whatever you think will come out in the little things you say and the little things you do and like everything. And so if you genuinely think like women are just as good, like let's have them here, like they can do as much like the beginner race, they can do the hard race, they can do whatever, then that will come out. Like there was at TBI. There was a guy from New Jersey who was super New Jersey who put on a wildly successful women's sprint race in the pool last year in Philadelphia. It had like 1500 women and everybody was basically like, and you could like, how did he do this? And you could almost see in their brains that they were like, it didn't fit. Like they were like, but he doesn't seem like very feminine and like girly and how, (laughs) and he like swears a lot. Like how were women welcomed? Like it, like it did it. It like, wasn't, you could like see it not Mm -hmm. going together in people's, but he clearly believed that like women could do it, like whatever, fuck it. And so they felt welcome. Like it didn't, it didn't matter. Like you don't need to, that was, that was my, I agree with you. I agree with you with him that, that, that has his attitude displayed like I'm going to put on a great event and women are going to want to come to it. End of story. Right. Yeah. And so I think that when we go into something with that kind of attitude that the results show, but right? you know, what's hard about that is how do you ch- like, if everything comes out of what you actually think and believe inside, I don't know how you change that. Like I can't change someone else thinking something like I don't, I mean, I, I'm sure I can, but like it would take a lot of time. You can influence. You influence people every day. Kelly. Thank you. No, Thank I, you. I think that, okay, I think it's easier to analyze this on an, with an organization than say with like our culture at large. Right. 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 But and I also think that attitudes about this stuff come from leadership down. Right. So often in an, in an organization, the attitude that we're seeing coming through is created by either the leader or the leadership group in that organization. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So back, like, I mean, your example of <laughs> New Jersey guy creating a women's race in Philadelphia, you know, here's a guy just thought he could put on a great race, thought, believed women would come to it and race at all different levels. And they did like yeah. very simple, very simple example. I think in the case of, for example, in the case of TBI, I think actually we could change the organizational culture of TBI very, very easily. Okay. Do it. How? Just go. (laughs) Here's how. Okay. Here's how. First, we believe that there are people from all different corners of the triathlon community who are doing great things and who could, who are in leadership in various levels. All right. Okay. okay, All right. All right. All your problem with your first step, Sarah, because you have to fundamentally believe that. And I think there are people who do not fundamentally believe that they think that they should right but that they don't actually believe that i don't care if they believe it if they think they should they'll do it (laughs) no no no. because what i'm saying is i think you have to actually like if you actually believe that then it will like manifest itself if you just like go through the steps then it will not like go through the steps of acting like you should believe it then like it will still feel like you are putting on a show Okay, maybe this is where we differ on this mm. TBI thing specifically. Okay. Is that what I see? What I see there is enough will for change. Like there, there are enough people who want triathlon to grow. True. And they want triathlon to be better and feel more inclusive. And people genuinely True. want that and are on occasion or lots of occasions going about it wrong. True. Right? And so I think that if you can convince, even if you can convince a handful of people you'll start to be able to make those changes, right? So just bear with me back to the story. All right. Okay? So point so, one was believe people are doing good things in all the different, in all the different realms. sex and realms. Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to go to, so 
when we're deciding who's going to be on the main stage. Okay. A lot of people see like diversity initiatives as being like for diversity's sake. Like we need right. a person of color just for the sake exactly, of it. Exactly. Right. That is not strictly speaking the way, the way we should think about it. What actually is true is that there are people of color doing amazing things. And if you have say, for example, a race directors panel, you would have, you would have people to choose from, right? right? If you were looking for people for different demographics, women included, but also people from a variety of places. So you could actually change up. If you changed up the like the, the people who are on stage and breathed new life into that, you would have a whole pile of new ideas at that conference and boom, I think the sport would change. And those people in the next, like say three years would also bring their friends. Right. So right, right. because they'd be like, Oh, Hey, this person got a voice there and there's people that look like me there. Oh, maybe I should go to TBI. Right. Like, you, so it's not just like bring your friends to TBI because they should come to TBI because we need more people at TBI. No, it's like actually this person that I know to be a great race director or coach or industry leader got to speak. They respect that person's voice. And therefore I feel like they'll respect mine because that person uh, looks like me. So I think that like, I actually think it could change on a dime. They could change it by next year. Well, yeah, yeah. But that gets back to, (laughs) you have to fundamentally believe that you're not doing it for the sake of checking a box for saying we like did diversity. If you fundamentally believe you're doing it because there are wild, like interesting perspectives, new ideas out there that you don't know about, then you would do it. Like you would change. That would be evident. But if you don't believe that I can't make you believe it. So like, fuck it. That's where I'm at. Okay. For people at home who can't see Kelly on Skype right now, she's like, she's like waving a phone charger at me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And, and I think we're back to the same place. It's like, I think that's where you and I differ is like, I think there were, there are enough people in that space who want that change that I think they like someone could convince them. Maybe they're listening right now. There you go. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe they're convinced. They're Done. convinced. Done. Done. Everything's Boom. changing right Who now. Who even realized that was all it took was somebody saying like, hey, what if you really believed this? And they'd be like, oh my God, I hadn't tried that. I just, <laughs> like, I hadn't tried believing <laughs> that people from various demographics do great things as well. But that's why, see, that's why I think it's an easy sell. It's like, <laughs> it's like you're, you're, if someone is stuck in a certain way of thinking, sometimes if the other way of thinking is kind of obvious, like what we just said, like people from various demographics are doing great things in the sport and let's put them on stage. I think people would agree with that. Well, yeah, but they don't. I, yeah, I don't know. I just heard a lot of like, well, I don't want to sacrifice quality for diversity kind of stuff. Right. And so anyway, we're going in circles. I actually spent a lot of time this week on another point. Uh, reading about mind models, like mental models, oh, like reframing your thinking and how oh. they're like. And so if you like, t- like if you don't, otherwise you just keep going in the same circles all the time yes. with a problem. Right. But if you like take a step out and think about it from like a different, like a totally different mind model. Mm-hmm. And I think in all of these situations, like if I've, if I'm doling out advice to the team <laughs> board randomly on a podcast, I feel like also like I should be reflective in terms of like, where am I stuck in my thinking too? And so like, that's also something I'd be willing to do. If anyone wants to tell me how I'm stuck in my thinking, please. I welcome it. Okay, good. Good. All right. Here's a topic. I think I know what you're going to say. I think I can already predict. So like, see, uh, shock me, Sarah, shock me. Should you wear makeup when working out or racing? 
depends whether you're saying I or we or who. <laughs> Should one? I would, one? I would never wear makeup while working out. Unless I was just already wearing it for the right, night before like, or something. But it's still like mostly because I like because it feels gross. Like I'm like, this is how you end up getting like breaking out. Like, yeah, I, I don't. So it, it's interesting like that. This is it's interesting. We chose this as a topic. Well, it was a big story in the Wall Street Journal this week about makeup is the new accessory at the gym. And I was like, is it new? It isn't. Because like literally this tension between like ah, female athletes performance and female athletes looks has existed like since there were female athletes, right? Like it always has been. There's so many examples because I like was working on a story about this one time. There's so many examples historically of women being required to wear makeup, of women being required to dress a certain way. Athletes were talking about it like while they went after an Olympic goal. And now, sure, they're not required too often anymore, but they feel still like often societal pressure to look a certain way. But at the same time, you want to wear makeup, wear makeup, do you, I don't care, right? Like do whatever mm-hmm. you want to do. So yeah. I'm actually like, even on a personal level, I'm of two minds about the makeup thing. See, I right? know, so exactly. On one hand, I'm like, I don't want to participate in a culture that perpetuates certain levels of beauty by women like that actually doesn't recognize what women look like naturally you know <laughs> like that's this is what we look like we don't normally have like these massive eyelashes so everybody just get used to it okay so part of me wants to do that and be that person and then but there's another part of me that's like well makeup's actually like and I, when I wear makeup I wear very small amounts like a little mascara mm-hmm. or maybe a little eyeliner but like I also feel like well it's kind of an advantage that women have like if I was a dude I couldn't like right, right, right. I know you I can't. could, but it would be countercultural to wear eye makeup, right? True. And so I'm like, hey, why, why don't I just embrace this advantage that we have as women culturally and just wear a little makeup? So okay. I like, I basically have two minds and, and whatever I tell myself in the day is usually whatever I'm doing, right? But usually I'm, I'm like, not working out I'm of the like, you should do whatever you want to do. But I do always find this like, it's like this weird thing when an athlete feels like so much of their brand and their money is tied up in how they look. And often that comes down to female athletes, like more often just to like, there's so much research out there about this, that they're willing to sacrifice like even a little bit of performance, right? Like if you're wearing like Mm. all like, like at the women's world cup, women's world cup's an interesting example. Like I'm talking us team. I don't care about other teams because like half of them are like not right. Like half of them are like super, like not attractive looking out there. Cause they're like dripping. Like I, they would look like I would in the middle of a soccer game. And then some of them like close up and they're like mascara, fake eyelash, right? Like mm-hmm. clearly some concealer. And that I like over the course of a whole soccer game, like fake eyelashes, like leave these, like, I mean, you it, it, have you ever worn like, it's like, it's like hard. Like it, it's like a little bit on the edge of your vision. It's like just a little bit. Like you, you can't, I feel like I would constantly be like, Oh, is that the ball? Oh no, it's not. It's my eyelash. Right. Like, <laughs> okay. I've never worn <laughs> fake eyelashes. So I don't know, but thank you for that uh, explanation of the experience. But don't you think that like after a while you would know if you wore them all the time? Well, like, yeah, I, obviously you get used to, you can get used to anything. You can get used to oppression, Sarah. It's fine. But I'm just <laughs> saying, like, I think it's weird. I mean, I think like if you're will, like when you're willing to make that choice, like there's something wrong with society. So like when you're making choices, you should like, there's obviously, are you making them because like you are not making choices ever free of societal expectations. Like no one yeah. is, no one does. If you think you are like true, cool. Right. Like, yeah, right. So I, yeah, I, I agree with you on your line. Like that performance should be the, should be a, a line for an elite athlete. 
On a personal level, I like personally feel like I'm taking, because there's all those stats about how women have to spend so much more time Mm-hmm. To like look as professional in the office to be like ju- like like the female presidential candidates spend like an hour and a half more every morning getting ready, which like adds up over the course of a campaign, right? And mm-hmm. so I'm like so annoyed about that that I personally right. am like striking my own personal like fuck that, right? I feel like I'm personally fighting back against that by showing up looking <laughs> rag, ragged but to I had, most everywhere I go. When I worked in like a regular like political office at one point, I had someone be like, you need to dress better and like do your makeup. Like you people are judging you based on how you look. And I was wow. like, oh, well, like, great. She was great. probably right. Nobody else just told me. So, yeah, possibly. But like you said earlier, we can't get, we can't make decisions outside of societal expectations. So. <laughs> so. You're trapped as much as we are, Kelly. Everyone, sh- I know it's terrible. Anyway, the last thing we were going to talk about, and this is because somebody emailed me after the newsletter went out to say, I want you and Sarah to talk about this. I feel like we've actually kind of talked about this topic before, but still, she wanted us to talk about Sarah True tweeted out. Let me get this directly right. She tweeted out that there's a difference between being an elite athlete and being a professional athlete. Like elite is a performance designation. Professional is a financial one. And Sarah, I've actually like kind of talked to Sarah about this before, like, cause I've had opinions about this before, right? Like there are elite amateurs who are like basically the same as like some of the mid-level pros mm-hmm. in the way, like we classify people in triathlon that we like classify them incorrectly. So I've talked to her about this before. I don't know, but I, I mean, I'm of two minds about this. This is about the way that we use language. I want you to have a strong opinion (laughs) and stick to it. Hey, guess what? I'm living in the gray zone over here. (laughs) I'm going to tell you all the angles and all the sides. Okay. So, so on one hand, like Sarah is right in terms of the actual word, the meaning of the word elite versus pro and professional athlete does actually mean that you're making a living. Right. That's what it means. Okay. Right. In practice, in the sport of triathlon, we refer to pros as people who have pro cards, right. right? Which does not mean that you're making a living in the sport. And very few people make a complete living very, actually as very an elite few. athlete. Like, right. They tend to cobble together a bunch of things, but they still have a pro card and we refer to them as pros in our common parlance. So I don't think we need to change the way that we USA triathlon. use the word pro. USA Triathlon actually goes like really clearly when you re-register with them. They're like, this is an elite license. This is not a designation of making an income. Like we do not use the word professional. And you're like, okay, USAT. Like, right. Yeah. So they're like, and that's also, I mean, it's relevant. That's what language, that, they're just explaining what the language means. In case they someone just want to be clear that they're not giving you money. They're I not think. giving you money. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's understandable from USAT's point of view. Yeah, I think like we use pro, like we just use pro athletes like, like in everyday language. So that, it doesn't bother me that much. It doesn't bother me. When people ask outside of the world of triathlon, I always say it's like basically the same as being like allowed to start in like the LPGA tour although they have minimum salaries, so whatever. But like, it's like, a le- it doesn't mean that you're going to win anything. It doesn't mean you're going mm. to have sponsors. It's just like being permitted to be on tour. I think yeah. that's a good example. Yeah. Though there is an aside point here. That's an interesting question. There are a growing number of lifestyle athletes that make a professional income as an athlete, but are not like elite performance level. Mm. I know. It's like, a, it's like in the whole, in the whole new internet world. Oh but, yeah, like yeah. the whole, like people who are like t- like an influencer on Instagram can make yeah, a living, mm-hmm. and they're also an athlete, like an amateur athlete. 
Yeah. They're but like, then are they making their living in the sport or are they making their living from, from being an influencer on Instagram? It's an interesting question. I mean, it's very like, it's very common for like surfing and surfing for female surfers. It's like a big, which gets back to like, cause there's a big dichotomy between like looking the way people want female surfers to look and like, that's all. I'm starting to think I went about this all wrong. Like when I was an I elite know. athlete, I was always trying to be a better athlete. You should have just, just done like photo shoots and bikinis and, and makeup and be done with it. That's what I'm saying. Maybe you just didn't market yourself well. <laughs> I See? definitely didn't market myself well. Because <laughs> I like sport. I like doing sport too much. So. Um, okay. So after the break, Kelly and I are going to be back and we're going to ask ourselves, what is the worst kind of pain? We would like to thank Ass Kicker Inc. for supporting the podcast. And remember to go to livefeisty.com, click on shop, and use the code RIDING to order your Live Feisty tanks, tees, hoodies, and leggings. Follow at If We Were Riding on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And subscribe to our feed on iTunes or wherever you listen. If We Were Riding is produced by Live Feisty Media and is hosted by Kelly O'Mara and me, Sarah Gross. Our awesome editor is Aaron Hamilton. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop this time like the last time. You better get ready to race to the top. I'm ready to do this, show you what the truth is. I step on the field, it's time to get real and I'm feeling so cool. So Kelly, you're the one who suggested this topic. I would like to know why. Are you in pain right now? <laughs> I'm actually like I told you, I'm having a really hard time focusing because I like just did like 400 all out repeats, and so I'm like doing that thing. We're really tired, but no, there was a story this week that, or actually like two weeks ago, that I included in the newsletter about like the scientific question of like what is the worst kind of pain? Like, pr- like actually, sign not in your like fucking perception, but like actually. What's the worst kind of pain? How do they even find that out? Like, how do they separate pain from perception? I know. Well, that's like, I mean, that's like one of the really big issues with pain, obviously, is that as we've been studying it, there was a really interesting story about this a few months ago that I was reading that like, as we've been studying it more and more, like actually measuring in the brain as you like burn someone's hand, um, you can like see like there are, you can see people's brain like like light up, but it's literally like different for like everyone. And, and so many things affect it. Like mood affects it and whether or not you've eaten affects it and like temp- like all kinds of things affect and for it. women hormones and hormones and like, like and that doesn't mean that it like that you're weaker it just means like you literally are feeling more pain like but it's so mm-hmm. the other thing i found interesting in that in the whole like as we're learning more about pain sarah is that when they used to not even be a consideration for doctors and when they basically developed a pain scale like you know that like the zero to ten with all the little faces at your doctor's office okay, this is a really common thing in the US. It has like a picture of like a happy face and a really angry face on one end. And you're supposed to like point at where you're at in between. So when doctors developed that, it was actually like, it precipitated the opioid crisis. Cause basically all of a sudden everybody was pointing at like, my pain's an eight and doctors who had never thought about pain before were like, holy shit, everyone's in pain. I should prescribe them something. And it's like, it may not be the cause, but it's like, it like very clearly in a timeline is like once doctors gave people a way to measure their pain, all of a sudden like pain was this overwhelming problem. So it's like, it's weird about how we think about it. See? Yeah. It's weird. Okay. How, how can this information help us in sport? <laughs> that you should just like tell yourself it's all in your head it's imaginary but this gets back to sarah we haven't answered yet what is the worst kind of pain scientifically 
What do you think? Like, I mean, scientifically, to you. I don't well, know what you think. The worst kind of pain for me in my uh, <laughs> one, my, like, what do you call that? An experiment of one. <laughs> <laughs> my pool size is limited. Okay, for me, okay, I wanted to say, it's like things that are, I experience things that are happening to me as more painful than like the pain that I cause myself. Mm, Even though I'm yeah, not yeah, sure that like sure. quite adds up. But like what I used to get, like, have you ever had like Graston technique? Yeah, I on, like an, that. on an injury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like it literally causes bruising. And, yeah. the, and one of my chiros that used to do mine, like it's it definitely helped me with a back issue I had, but like, oh man, he would go in hard. Like I'd end up with bruises everywhere. And the fact that I knew it was coming, that's one. I knew it was coming. And then he'd go in so hard and like bruise my SI joint like crazy. I used to find that so painful. Same thing like childbirth. I think part of it is like you know it's coming because you like you feel right. the contraction. And then like, you know, like you get used to the pattern of like the contraction and then the pain and you're like, <laughs> right. And I think it's that like kind of re- repetitive knowing it's coming. Oh, I am. Yeah. I'm also really bad. Like I literally used to like pass out when I got shots. Like I'm really bad at anticipation of pain. Mm. Like, I'd li- like, I mean, really, but if it just like happened, I like don't even right. notice or care. Like when yeah. I, when I like fell off my bike a couple years ago and literally shattered my wrist into 12 pieces, I didn't feel anything. I mean, I think that's a different reason. That's I think you have protective, me- yeah, like, that's protective mechanisms that tell you. But it's it's funny, isn't it? Like that that can happen and I don't feel anything. Oh, it's just like a little bit of pain, but it's nothing. Like, it was nothing like freaking like Graston's <laughs> that I'm choosing. Right. It's, it's weird. Yeah, no, I'm bad at anticipation. And there's something too with like once an emergency happens, like and you're fine, like in your flight or fight has gone. Down. Anyway, I then have like this massive like rush of things get bad for me like 30 seconds after you crash the bike two minutes mm. after like once everything's fine then i like it gets really bad it's not good hmm. interesting so. yeah this with with my wrist like it never it was way more than 30 seconds before i ended up in the <laughs> er and uh i just it was painful but i've had a lot of other things more painful i did crash my bike really bad one time and passed out and uh they, had to, they were going to like helicopter me out of this park and I like refused to get in the helicopter and they like had me strapped to a board and whatever. And I'm like crying. And the nurse is like, why are you crying? And you're like, cause it hurts. Like what the fuck? <laughs> like what kind of question is that? It's weird. I think, I just think pain is a fascinating topic that we're going to be finding yeah. out more about like science, scientifically speaking in, in the years to come. So. Yeah. They're finally studying. Apparently if you wanted the actual, like the scientific answer, the worst kind of pain is like the chronic nerve pain, like fibromyalgia, that kind of thing. Cause like it's chronic, like acute, really mm-hmm. bad, but chronic is actually like, like just like worse because it just, it's always there. Because right. It's chronic because yeah. it's chronic. Yeah. So. And those are the kinds of things that can change, like, can like change your, changes your mindset, your outlook on life exactly. and your personality even. And that's, yeah, that's another level. That's terrible. So. Okay. Well, we can't go out on that note. Let's like <laughs> sing a happy song or something. Let's sing a happy song. <laughs> so the next time you're in like four minute all out, that's the worst kind of effort, right? We do like the four by four all out. Oh, uh, yeah. It's like, those are literally the worst because of the lactic whatever next time you're in the middle of one of those you'll be like well at least i don't have fibromyalgia and this will pass and it's all in my head and it's fine (laughs) exactly (laughs) just think of that there you go your encouragement for the day right people can tell me to stop my town my crown we know what it takes to be reaching the top we're reaching the top we're reaching the top we know what it takes to be reaching the top